Thanks so much for joining us on our weekly sermon podcast. We pray that this message encourages you, equips you, and inspires you as you continue to daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Enjoy the message. God bless you. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. There's also uh, scripture on the, uh, the wall. <laughs> and uh, if you have your phone, you can pull that out too. A uh, couple of things before we actually dive into scripture. Um, some of you... Uh, may remember Joe, uh, Joe and Tippy. Um, <laughs> uh, Tippy was the dog. Um, so it's not the, today's not the first day we've had a dog join us for service. We've had dogs join us in the past. Now you're all wondering where the dog is. It's that well behaved, okay? Um, so anyway, uh, Joe uh, called me yesterday and um, I had actually missed the call. And as I, for some reason, was scrolling on uh, Facebook after that, I saw pictures of what was this apartment complex on fire, like the whole thing was on fire. And, and then I, I saw who was tagged in that post, and it was Joe. Um, uh, Joe is okay, but uh, his apartment complex, unfortunately, is not. Um, they lost everything. Um, and so Joe had just recently moved into the apartment complex, and he had all of his belongings in there, and now he is left with nothing um, except him and Tippy. They were able to get Tippy out, um, but unfortunately, all the other stuff that he had, um, it, uh, it, it was lost. Um, now, many of us, are, our thoughts and, and minds will go to, well, it's all just temporal, material stuff. Yeah, but it's also sentimental stuff. Uh, you, you, you know what it's like when you lose something that is of value to you, and you know you can't get it back. Um, and I, I think for us to, uh, to say that, well, it's just material stuff, let's refrain from that. <laughs> let's, let's be sensitive to what somebody is going through. And anyways, Joe obviously doesn't live in California anymore, and I can tell you this much, he's very thankful for that, <laughs> because he's not in California. Um, <laughs> Uh, but we do want to pray for him, and um, if you're wondering if there's any way that you can help, um, uh, the best way, one of the best ways is obviously through prayer. Um, just lift him up in prayer. And then also, um, uh, if you have his number, just reach out to him. Uh, just just text him, call him. I know some of you don't know Joe, and uh, <laughs> you don't know Joe. Uh, uh, but just pray for him anyway. So uh, that's what we're going to do right now. And then also, I, I want to lift up uh, Gloria as well, as she's quarantined right now in preparation for a, an upcoming surgery. So uh, if you would join me in praying for these two individuals. Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness in the midst of uh, dark seasons of our lives. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we sympathize with what Joe is going through right now and, and losing things in a fire, Lord, it's not ideal. It's not something that somebody has on their, their bucket list. Um, and Lord, we, uh, we mourn with him. We grieve with him. Um, Lord, a lot of that, that, the things that he lost uh, were sentimental and, and of value. And, and uh, Lord, it's, it's hard to get that stuff back. But Lord, we do know at the same time that there is hope for the believer. And Lord, I pray that you would just meet Joe where he's at in this season. I pray that you would provide for him, that you would supply all of his needs, Lord, and that he would remember that you are the God who sees, you are the God who knows, and you are the God who hears. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just surround him with other believers um, that would be able to aid him in this season. Uh, and so, Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do. We also lift up Gloria as she is uh, uh, awaiting a surgery. Lord, you know all the details to it, and I pray, God, that you would uh, just give her peace as she uh, waits. And, Lord, as she gets into that surgery room, Lord, may she have uh, confidence in knowing that you are God who is in control of it all. And, Lord, I pray that you would direct the doctors and the surgeons and everyone else involved, Lord, and... Uh, I pray that you would uh, help us to remember to reach out to both of these individuals. And uh, Lord, we know that you're sovereign and in, in control, and we, uh, we commit them to you. 
And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Uh, speaking of Joe, he actually called me before this uh, fire happened, and he was watching online last week. And if you were here last week, um, our topic was the gift of tongues. And uh, <laughs> he asked me the question, he says, are you for or against tongues? And I thought that was a very good question. I don't know if I was entirely clear on it. And if you're fuzzy on last week, let me just sum it up. I, I am for tongues. I am for the gift of tongues. Uh, what I am not for is the improper use of the gift of tongues. Um, so I believe that the gift of tongues are straight from the Lord, uh, but I believe the confu- confusion and chaos comes from humanity. Uh, the way that um, hu- humankind has treated and even misused this gift. Um, but here's the thing about God's word. And I'm, I'm, I hope most of you know this. I hope this isn't a, a first time uh, of, of you hearing this. Um, uh, the word of God will offend you at some point. <laughs> it will ruffle your feathers a little bit because it calls out sin. It challenges, challenges us to be better husbands, better wives, better children. It challenges, challenges us to, uh, to, to use the gifts of God properly. Um, and at some point, it'll offend you. You won't like what it has to say. And you'll say, well, it doesn't really line up with my opinion. What happens when scripture doesn't line up with your opinion? Guess what? You change your opinion. <laughs> Because why? Scripture is always right. And that's what we preach here. We don't preach my ideas. We don't preach an elder's opinions. We preach the word of God. The word of God has power. My opinions don't matter. Ian's opinions don't matter. Sorry. (laughs) But, But let me just be clear on something. Before we get any further into scripture this morning... I am not called to preach my feelings. I am not called to preach my opinions. I am not called to tickle your ears. And if you're here to get comfortable, eh, we'll see how that works for you. (laughs) Because let's face it, uh, the gift of tongues any gift, anything we talk about when it comes to scripture, especially in our day and age today, in the culture that we're in today, absolutely everything that, that we preach from the Bible will offend our culture. It'll offend you. It'll offend me. But that's okay because it's God's word. And God's word always proves true. Amen? So, are you all at 1 Corinthians 14? Go ahead and stand as we read verse 26 through 40 together. Now, um, I don't know if Cliff had the the sermon uh, (laughs) title up there, Um, but you'll notice it says the gift of tongues again. Did he put it? Yeah, see, the gift of tongues. Okay, so this morning we're working with the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, and women in the church. So whatever I put up there, it wouldn't really matter because all three of those are super controversial in the church world today. So take your pick. I mean, you can sub out tongues for prophecy or women in the church, you name it, but we're tackling all three of them today. Uh, So anyways, uh, starting in verse 26, it says, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women, women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but it should be in submission as the law also says. 
If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, your word always proves to be true. It is life-giving, life-transforming. It doesn't tickle our ears. Lord, it gets to the heart of the matter, and the heart of the matter uh, is that we have a sin issue. God, we have all fallen short. Scripture is explicitly clear on that, and that we've all sinned and all fallen short of the glory of God. But you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, to rise again from the dead, Lord. May we remember that. Scripture points to Jesus throughout the whole Bible. Genesis to Revelation, it's only always about Jesus. And so, Lord, help us to see you as we dive into some interesting points of Scripture this morning. Lord, help us to have ears to hear what your Spirit wants to say to us. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. I was reading a poll this morning from uh, the Christian Post. They had put an article about what uh, people believe about the Bible and, and, and what their stance is on the Bible. And in short, I was actually shocked at um, the statistic, but only... 20% of evangelical born-again Christians believe this. 20%. I, I hope you make up that 20% this morning. I hope you make up the, the 20% that believe that this is the inspired word of God. That God has given us his word, not so we can just read it as another history book, uh, but because this is his word to us and his word when it is applied to our lives it works. And so let's continue to be that 20%, but let's get more people. Uh, let's help people to see that this is the inspired word of God and that when it is, when it is properly applied, properly applied, uh, the principles that we find in God's word will actually benefit us. God just didn't give us his word to just give us his word. God gave us his word so we could apply it and we could grow and we could mature in our thinking and understanding of what it means to be a born-again uh, believer. And so uh, as we go through this passage, let's take the word of God literal, okay? Let, let's hang on to every word that we read this morning. And so Paul, in verse 26, uh, ultimately wanted the believers in Corinth uh, to avoid the confusion, the, the unnecessary confusion. In verse 26, he says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? He says, Let all things be done for building up. Now, let's understand the context here for a minute. The context was not like Paul was writing to a church like ours. He was actually uh, addressing home churches because that's where many of the Christians were meeting were in, in home churches, house, house groups, if you will, small groups. Uh, you know, the only time the, the church meets is, is not just on Sunday mornings, but when you're gathered together at your home for some type of Bible study. Just like Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. The church doesn't just gather here. And so Paul is addressing uh, the fellowship that was meeting in the home groups, in, in houses uh, where they would come together for fellowship in the word. And when they met, now, when we read this, uh, for some of us, it's like, well, that's good, right? I mean, we get to verse 26, everybody's got a hymn, everybody's got a lesson, everybody's got a revelation. You have to understand the context. The Corinthian believers had kind of strayed away from what Paul was teaching. Uh, they, were acting, uh, they were acting out, they were misusing the gifts. And so when everybody was gathering into a house, there was no order, 
There was no, no clarity on what was happening. Everybody would come in rushing in with a hymn or a song and everybody would be blurting out and, and giving a revelation. There was no order. And so when you had somebody new come into this house group, this person was like, what is going on? People just speaking all over the place. Tongues was happening. Prophecy was happening. Revelations were being given. And Paul says, listen, that's great. And we should be excited when somebody is excited to share something that the Lord has given them. But like Paul will get to at the close of this chapter, he, 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 he will say that we need to be doing things decently and in order, not just sporadic, not just spontaneous. Um, I think about some of those songs that are out there and, and they have in parentheses the word spontaneous worship. Uh, I don't think God has called us to that necessarily. I, just like he says, everything should be done decently and, and in order, but the church in Corinth uh, was not doing this. And so Paul's main emphasis, as we saw last week, was that the purpose of meeting together should be for the building up of the church. It should be for the encouragement of the church. It should be for the edification of the church, the equipping of the church. Ephesians 4.12, it says, uh, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So when we come together, it's not just about one individual person. When we come together, it's for the encouragement and the building up of every believer who is under this roof. And then Paul in verses 27 through 32. So he lays this, if you will, the context. He's saying everybody's coming in. They're, they're shouting out prophecy, shouting out in tongues, shouting out with a hymn or a lesson. And, and now he gets into proper order, if you will, or instructions of how to use specifically two of these gifts, which is uh, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. In verse 27 through 32, he says, If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged, and the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. So, Paul, right? If you're thinking about last week, Paul even said, he says, I, I, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. Paul had the gift of tongues, and it's apparent by his statement there, but listen to this. Paul never condemns having the gift of tongues. He actually encourages it. He says, I wish, I wish we all could speak in tongues, right? But he says, even more so, I wish everybody uh, was able to prophesy. Why? Because a little bit of a recap, tongues was for the building up of the individual, it was for that, uh, that individual person to grow in their relationship with, with God. And he says, uh, make sure if you're speaking in tongues, you also are able to interpret what you're saying. That way you know what you're saying and you're being built up and, and encouraged individually. And prophecy, remember, prophecy was an inspired message given by God. Uh, but that encouraged the whole church. Now, he never condemns someone having the gift of tongues. 1 Corinthians 14, 5. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. And Paul here, remember, he's being led by the Spirit. He's being led by the Spirit to write this to the believers in Corinth. And he's ultimately saying this. He's saying, if you have the gift of tongues, use it appropriately. Use it the way that would bring honor and glory to God. And Paul ultimately lays out some uh, instructions, as we'll see in just a minute. But let me just clear the air for a minute, because uh, maybe you're uh, tuning back in because you watched last week and you realize we're going to keep going on this gift of tongues. And maybe last week, something I said offended you. Let me just clear the air. If you have the gift of tongues, praise God. Praise God that you have the gift of tongues. We're not a church that denies any of the gifts that God gives. We believe that God gives gifts for us to use. And specific, the gift of tongues is that gift where you as the individual can be given, uh, uh, can be encouraged. Uh, 
But I want us to, to remember the context that Paul is speaking of. Uh, on because last week I mentioned that a lot of Pentecostal churches will take the gift of tongues and they will make it into whatever they want. Uh, now, some Pentecostal churches they use the gift of tongues in the appropriate way, uh, but we have to understand the context to which Paul is writing. Remember, he's not writing to a large church, he's writing to a house church, he's writing to, church, to believers who would meet in homes. And Paul says, okay, here are the instructions. Here are the instructions for how to use the gift of tongues. Now, I mentioned last week that I do not find it fitting for the gift of tongues to be demonstrated in an atmosphere like this. Uh, I, I don't believe it would uh, honor God because in the context that Paul is writing, the context is a small group, ultimately. And so, however, I believe that the gift of tongues should be exercised if you have the gift of tongues. Uh, Paul encourages Timothy, if you remember in Timothy, he says, fan into flame the gift that, that God has given to you. He says, Let, let's exercise it. Let's get it going. If you have a gift, if you have some gift that is laid out in the Bible, just don't leave it dormant. Don't let it sit to the side. If God has given you a gift, he calls us to use that gift. But I do believe that the gift of tongues can be utilized in a prayer group. I believe that the gift of tongues can be utilized individually when it's just you and the Lord. I believe that the gift of tongues can even be used in a small group, however, under the proper guidelines of Scripture. Now, you're wondering what the guidelines are. Paul is pretty clear on it. The proper use of tongues within the above settings is is this, the above setting. So think prayer group, small group, uh, individually. Uh, he says, first off, only two or three at most. Verse 27, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three. Pretty clear, right? I mean, that's the first guideline. The second one is this, speak in turn. It shouldn't just be this random blurting out speaking into the air. He says in verse 27, each in turn. Again, very clear. And then he says, also in verse 27, there must be a person who has the gift of interpretation and let someone interpret. Either the person who is speaking in tongues must have that gift or there must be somebody who is present who can interpret what is being said. And now the question is, well, what if there is no one to interpret what is being spoken in tongues? Verse 28, but if there is no one to interpret, aren't you glad the Bible is like... It's all right there. There's no guessing when it comes to the gift of tongues. He says, but if there's no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in the church. Anybody confused on that? If there's no one to interpret, let's take it even a step back, a step backwards, right? Two or three at most, each in turn, okay? What else? Must be an interpreter. And if there's no interpreter, be quiet. That's it. Now, some people will argue and they'll be like, well, that's not fair. You're just saying to use my gift and how can I use my gift if there's no interpretation? And listen, that's what the Bible says. <laughs> if there's no one to interpret, the Bible strictly says, keep silent. Interpretation is crucial. So, if you have the gift of tongues, utilize it. But utilize it under the proper settings in the proper way. And if you have the gift of interpretation, being able to interpret what that person is saying. And remember, it's not some gibberish. It's not some made-up language. It's a known language, but it's unknown to you. You've never studied it before. You have no idea what these words mean, but someone else does. So, I don't have to go very far on the instructions because Paul just, he's done. He's like two or three at most, okay? Each in turn, let someone interpret, no interpretation, let's just stay silent. Now he gets into prophecy. Uh, verse 29, he says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. 
Now, I think for most of us, our minds will take us to the Old Testament prophets. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Haggai, Haggai, however you want to say it, Hosea, Hosea, all all of these minor prophets, major prophets, right? Uh, But Paul's not talking about Old Testament prophets. He's not talking about the the guys in the past. He's he's saying, let two or three prophets speak. So he's speaking in the present tense. He's saying there, there are prophets, but not like the prophets of old. Uh, remember what Hebrews says, in former times, God spoke to us through prophets, but now in these days, he speaks to us through his son, Jesus Christ, right? We don't need prophets because Jesus already showed up. He fulfilled everything that the prophets were, were speaking of. Uh, and of course, the prophets also alluded to end time events, which most of them have been fulfilled. We're waiting for more to be fulfilled, But what Paul is talking about, who Paul is talking about, is he's referring to those who have the gift of prophecy, someone who speaks an inspired message given by God. Old Testament prophets, yes, their message was inspired, but it was for the future in a sense that they were pointing to Jesus, they were pointing to end times, they were pointing to things that happened with the Chaldeans and the Assyrians, and Paul is talking about When someone who has a message from God, they know it's from God, and speaks that message. And Paul is letting the Corinthian church know this, that this too, this gift, also comes with a set of instructions. Uh, We have a user manual, if you will, for both the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. So what are the guidelines? Paul says no more than three prophesying. No more than three uh, speaking an inspired message. And the second one, the second guideline is this. The listener, the listener, the one who is receiving that prophecy, must weigh what is said. They must weigh what is said. That is crucial to our text, and we'll find out why in just a minute. But I was thinking of a, in, an example of an ungodly prophecy. Um, And it doesn't take one very long to discover where you can find these ungodly prophecies. You just flip on the TV, you go to TBN or whatever station is out here, and you realize that there's these guys on the channel that are uh, prophesying that God spoke to them saying, God told me in a dream last night that you should donate $54 million so I could have a jet. That's a bunch of bogus Now, godly biblical prophecy is something like this, Acts 11.28, and one of, them, one of them named Agabus. Now, we don't hear very much about Agabus. Agabus is, in this chapter, prophesying because, well, look at the rest of the verse. He stood up and foretold, what does it say? By the Spirit, that there would be a great famine all over the world And this took place in the days of Claudius. See, the difference is is that Agabus was being led by the Spirit. He was controlled by the Spirit. The Spirit was was putting this in him, and he was speaking it out. Most of these preachers on the TV are not under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when they're asking for $54 million so they can get to their destination faster. Agabus's prophecy was inspired in that it was spirit-led. Now, the question that I had to ask myself as I was studying this is, are there prophets today? Are, are there prophets today? In the sense of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, uh, I, I don't believe there are those types of prophets today. I believe the last prophet was John the Baptist. Uh, but in the sense of people uttering inspired messages given by the Lord for future purposes. Yes, I totally wholeheartedly believe that. And as I was thinking about uh, an example of this, one came to mind as I was preparing for this. Uh, I think it was last year I had got invited to speak at another church and we had uh, another pastor by the name Sahil. Um, he's one of the pastors of the Christian Punjabi church in, in our area. And he uh, he came up to, uh, of all people, Kim Duggins, who most of us know is, is battling cancer. 
And Saul, I don't think he had ever met her prior to that Sunday. Uh, And not knowing what she was going through, he asked if she was sick in any way. And she told him what was going on. To which Saul, I believe, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, felt God had laid it on his heart (laughs) that healing was coming. Just, Just a word spoken in the right season. And listen, today as Kim uh, gets PET scans and gets checked up and everything, there has been stability. There has been little to really no growth in the cancer at all. And so you talk about a prophetic word saying that healing is coming and then going through all these PET scans and seeing that, man, okay, what he said Okay, healing, healing is here. And so when someone gives you a word, uh, remember it. Uh, remember that prophetic word. Remember that inspired message that, that God has laid on somebody's heart and receive it. Hold on to it. Don't forget it. But there's a second part where the listener must do something. So the prophet is... Uh, There's only supposed to be two to three prophesying, but then the listener must do something. And Paul is pretty clear on what this listener must do. He must weigh it, right? Because there's a lot of false prophetic words going around. And some of us will jump right to it because it sounds really good. Uh, They'll say, if you just give this certain amount of money, God will make all your dreams come true. (laughs) That's not going so well for some people. And then they go back and they blame God because it's God's fault because I've given this amount and I thought my life was supposed to be all that and a bag of chips. Show me that in scripture. See, the listener must weigh what is said and not just take someone for their word. We need to take God for his word. If it lines up with scripture, great. Uh, But you've probably heard this said before in regards to anybody really saying anything. If it's new, it's probably not true. And if it's true, it's probably not new. See, many of what we hear in the church today is all to tickle our ears. I've mentioned that already. It's all to make us feel good and to, to make us comfortable. And that's not what we find in Scripture Scripture addresses our sin. It talks about some of the hard stuff, being a husband, a wife. It talks about uh, adultery. It talks about uh, sexual immorality. But listen to what 2 Timothy 4.3 says. It says, the time will come when people will not listen to sound doctrine. We're in that time now. We are right there. He goes on to say, but will follow their own desires And will collect for themselves more and more teachers who will tell them what they are itching to hear. And so Paul says when it comes to prophecy that there must not be more than uh, three people. That the, the, uh, the listener must weigh it. Then he talks about revelation. Not the book of Revelation, but a revelation, a revealing uh, from the Lord. In verse 30, he says, If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. So, picture it this way. Paul is saying, if somebody is prophesying, okay, and they're speaking to another person, they said that the, the, the Lord has given me a word, And then if a revelation, a revealing of a situation or circumstance in regards to what that person is uh, prophesying about or, or something different, the one who is prophesying must stay silent. Let the first be silent. So in the context, the first person would be the first, the, the person prophesying. Paul's saying if in the midst of prophecy, someone else is revealing what the Lord has given to them, the first person prophesying must be silent. And now jump down to verse 31 and 32. Paul says, For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged, and the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. So the basic understanding of this gift of prophecy okay, is that one would use it to instruct and that all may be encouraged. Uh, Craig Bloomberg, in his commentary on this, says 
in regards to the gift of prophecy, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. This gift is not about our own edification, but it is, it is the edification of the whole church, the building up of the church. Now, there seems to be some type of like, I don't know, maybe Paul tripped when he was writing this, or maybe his pen slipped out, and it's like, why is this here? Uh, it says, in the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. Some of us, at least when I'm reading this, I'm like, what? It's kind of like, Paul, you're making sense, and then all of a sudden you go off into this thing that I, what are you, what are you talking about? The prophet ultimately is, control, is in control of the use of their gift. Uh, he says the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. Listen to this commentary on, on this. Believers, in the process of exercising their spiritual gifts, are never so out of control as to be unable to stop or regulate their behavior. If you have a gift, it's not like God is just going to put it in you and you have it and then all of a sudden you go loosey-goosey all over the place. It doesn't work that way. What did we just read? God is not the author of confusion, right? He's the God of peace. And so a lot of what you see on TV and a lot of what you see from these Benny Hinn outreach type things or uh, Creflo Dollar or Kenneth Copeland, what you name it, a lot of what you see is uh, not inspired by the Spirit. They have lost all control of who they are. Paul is saying this, while the gift is given by God, God has given the believer the ability through the Spirit to act in a manner with the usage of the gift in a way that encourage, encourages and edifies. David Guzik explains it this way. He says, how do we explain the actions of those that shout and writhe and jump or act weird, supposedly under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Often, they are resisting the Holy Spirit, and this leads to stress which finds an outlet in strange actions. Uh, I don't encourage you to watch Benny Hinn, but if you've ever seen something in regards to Benny Hinn, this explains it. Strange actions because there's no control. Uh, there's, there's no uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's scripted. Verse 33, Paul goes on to say, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. I truly believe that God gives guidelines for these two gifts because it ultimately reflects who he is. If everyone were demonstrating their gifts in a crazy type of fashion, just abruptly speaking out, and if you have the gift of tongues, just randomly just blurting it out and, and not having an interpreter, I, I think it would reflect that God is chaotic in his distribution of gifts. But God is not chaotic. God is not uh, the author of confu confusion. Confusion does not characterize God. The one who gives the spiritual gift of prophecy. What characterizes God is peace. So it follows that the spiritual gifts he gives will produce not chaos, but peace. Now, uh, verse 33, Paul says, as in all the churches of the saints. Now, you could stop right there. It can apply to what was said before, but it can also apply to what he's about to say. Um, he's basically saying, listen, what I'm writing to you is not anything different than what I would tell the other churches. He's saying, this is the standard for the churches. It's not just because you are who you are, you're acting the way that you're acting. He says, this is my encouragement to all churches. See, churches must not choose what they want to incorporate within their congregation when it comes to the word of God. Anything other than the word of God in the church will either cause, cause it or create it to be a social club. It will create it to, to crumble or fall apart so the churches must not choose what they want to incorporate in their congregation. 
It's not like the elders uh, and I, we sit on our meetings and we go through the Bible and we're like, I like this verse, I like that. Ooh, this one, I don't know if we can do that one here. I don't know if we can do that one here, but I really like this one. No, it's either the whole word of God or the whole word of God. See, the word of God, the instructions of the Lord, must be the focal point of the church. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God proves true. Now, he's talking about gifts, and now Paul transitions into talking about uh, the women in the church. Now, I realize in our culture and even in uh, some of our thinking today that I'm about to step on some toes. (laughs) I need to know who said that. (laughs) Craig did? (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, But let me remind you. (laughs) Let me remind you, Craig. No, just kidding. Um, uh, I think we all know this, that like I mentioned in the beginning, this is the only book we will preach from. (laughs) And when we come to portions of Scripture like this that are uh, uncomfortable, let's face it, uh, because now I have all the ladies in the room thinking, like, say it. What are you going to say? <laughs> so, let's read scripture. Verse 34 and 35. <laughs> the women should, man, I should not have said anything and I should just have read the verse because the first sentence of this <laughs> the women should keep silent in the churches. Now you're going to see all the ladies just start to flock out of here and all the guys will be like, for they are not. Context, okay? Remember context. Context, context, context. For they are not permitted to speak, but should remain in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. Husbands, you are included in this. It's not just the wives. For it is shameful for a woman woman to speak in church. (laughs) So, Most of us would think, man, Paul's being a little harsh here because he's ultimately saying that women need to remain silent in the church. And most of us would think, okay, well, let's just skip over this part because this is one of those tricky parts that we probably shouldn't address because some ladies' feathers will be ruffled and they will be offended, uh, but we're going to go for it. Uh, Paul, speaking in context, please remember context. It was likely... That some of the women within the church were adding more chaos to the mix. They were incorporating their interpretation of the tongues or giving a prophecy out of turn. They were not following suit with what Paul laid forth as the guidelines. And so Paul is addressing this situation because if you remember from 1 Corinthians 12 to the end of this chapter, Paul is talking about spiritual gifts. And in the middle of that, obviously, he's talking about love and how that is the highest gift that one should uh, seek after. And so Paul here is saying, okay, there's some things that are happening. People are speaking out of turn. The the, the women, for some reason, are just going off and and just not making any sense. They're adding chaos to it, and, and this is not right. Now, that's not to say men can't do the same thing. Uh, Sometimes men, uh, wives, I'm sure you can attest to this, (laughs) Uh, your husband probably creates more chaos than necessary. Uh, Amen. (laughs) Uh, But let me answer this because I'm sure you have this question on your mind. Is Paul saying that women within a church cannot speak at all? I don't think he's saying that. Uh, Because if he was saying that women shouldn't speak at all in a church, he wouldn't have wrote what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 11.5. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered. 
He's addressing the church and he's saying, listen, uh, if you remember the head covering and the, having your head uncovered, uh, but every wife who prays or prophesies, right? Prophecy was in the context of the church meeting together for the building up of the church. And so he's saying, if a woman prophesies, okay? Uh, so I don't think Paul is suggesting necessarily that women are supposed to stay silent within the church altogether, Paul was speaking in that verse in regard to coming together. When we study the word, where we pray together. Listen, some of the greatest prayer warriors I know are women. Some of the greatest encouragers in the Lord that I know are women. However, the one place I do not believe that a woman should have a role in, and the Southern Baptist Convention will now argue this. The one place I do not believe a woman should be able to have authority is behind the pulpit. First Timothy two eleven through twelve. Let a woman uh, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. This is what Paul says. This is what the Word of God says. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, Paul, of course, in Timothy, is speaking in regards of a co-ed context where men and women are present in the same room. Now, uh, why is that? (laughs) Now, let me answer that momentarily, but... Let me just give you some encouragement for you ladies out there, uh, because there are vital roles that women play within the church. And listen, if the church was just made up of men, oh, we would be in trouble, okay? We need strong, mature, godly women within the church. We need all different ages of women within the church. We need all different levels of maturity in their walk uh, within the church. Do I believe women are called to teach other women? Absolutely. Titus 2, 3 through 4. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine. Teaching. Did you see that? Teaching what is good. So that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. Do I believe women can teach in kids ministry? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do I believe women can teach youth group? Absolutely. The one place I believe, because God's word says this, that a woman cannot teach is the context of a church service like this. If we believe that women weren't allowed to speak at all, Diane wouldn't have been up here giving announcements. But listen, it's kind of a twofold, twofold uh, dynamic that Paul is laying forth in, in Corinthians. Because husbands are included within that text. So Paul has the uh, understanding that as they're meeting in this house group, that the wife and the husband were both present, and therefore the husbands were not being the spiritual leaders within that context. The women were stepping up, and it's somewhat similar to our church uh, as a whole, the, the church at large, is that most men are not stepping up to lead. Most men would rather just let their wives say, hey, we're going to church on Sunday. Most, most men would rather have their wives bring their children together before bedtime and read a Bible story. So ultimately, the call is yes for women, but as well as men. Guys, we're supposed to lead our wives. Husbands, we're supposed to wash our wives with the word of God, which means you, as a husband, must spend time in the word of God. Paul says if the wife has a question, who is the wife supposed to go to? The husband. So guess what, husband? If your wife comes to you with a question, a biblical question, know the word of God. Understand the word of God. Now, the question might be, well, what if my husband isn't a believer? What if my my husband doesn't really know 
not even doesn't really know, but what if he's just not a believer? My encouragement to you would be go to a mature, godly woman. And then, if need be, go to the pastor of your church. The bottom line is this. Although Paul is specifically addressing women in the church context, uh, it's for the men, for the husbands as well. It's a call for the wives to keep their husbands accountable, ultimately. It's a call for the wives to submit to the leadership of their husband. And it's a call for husbands to step up and teach their wives the word of God. Now, I realize we can go much more in depth with that, but my time is running out. Uh, And honestly, if you do have more questions, uh, married couples, study that together. Understand that verse together. If you have questions, you can come to Craig. He knows all about... uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) But listen, men and women, we both have a role to play within the church. We both have a role. And it just so happens that our stance, and I believe it is a biblical stance, is that the leader of the pastor of the church should be a man. That's who God has called to lead the church. Uh, So, in summary, verse 36 through 40, Paul says, Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? Now, Paul's being a little sarcastic. He's giving these rhetorical questions. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command from the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So Paul brings the topic of gifts to a close with two rhetorical questions. Number one, was it from you that the word of God came? The Corinthians were out of control. They were worshiping pagan gods. They were worshiping Aphrodite, the goddess of sex. They were worshiping all these different idols. And Paul asks a really simple question. Was it from you the word of God came? No way. You guys were lost as lost can be. The word of God came from me, Paul, to you. Paul is essentially pointing to the fact that since they knew nothing about the word of God prior to Paul's arrival to Corinth, that they should take heed to listen to the instructions given. And then he asks, are you the only ones it has reached? At the time Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, the word of God was dispersing throughout all of the known world at that time, coming into communities and flipping them upside right. Now, he closes with this. He says, be careful, he warns. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or is spiritual, he's ultimately saying, if, if you're a prophet, If you have the gift of prophecy, if you have the gift of tongues, if you're knowledgeable in your understanding of the word of God, understand that everything I just told you, everything I had just written down is a command from the Lord. He says, I'm writing to you. He says, excuse me, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit, under the authority of the Holy Spirit to write what he gave to the Corinthians. Paul is pointing to his divine authority. But he's also pointing to this. If anyone does not recognize this as the Lord's word, then he himself will not be recognized. Kind of like... Uh, the rest of the percentage of people who don't believe that this is God's word, thinking that they can just read it and it's there for, for us. But uh, listen, he's saying, if you're not recognizing it as the final say over your life, then there's issues. There are many people who think they are believers, but deny the power and authority of the Bible. We see that in polls, Christian polls all the time. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but that's just an old book. That book has no... Uh, Relativity to my life today, it's been written thousands of years ago. How could this possibly apply to, to me? It does. It, it, it does 100%. And for us to think that this isn't the inspired word of God, it shows us that we're not mature in our thinking. 
Just like Paul says. Paul's saying this, if you prophesy, if you cast out demons, if you do many mighty works in his name, but discount the authority of the Lord through the word of God, you will not be recognized as a follower of Christ. There's no way you can follow Christ without knowing his word. You just can't. You need to know the word of God. You need to understand the gospels. Matthew 7, 21 to 23, it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will come to me, saying, Lord, Lord, didn't, did, not, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So where are you at with the word of God this morning? Is it just a a nice little uh, art piece within your home? Is it just uh, something that you've been given when you were first married as one of those gifts that seemingly every married person gets and it's just collecting dust? Where, Where is scripture in your life? Now Paul ends with, All things should be done decently and in order. All right, here's our takeaways. Number one, God wants his church to reflect his character. Not confusion, but he wants it to reflect himself as the God of peace. Number two, God wants his church to to proclaim the gospel of Christ without confusion. The simple message of the gospel. It's easy enough for a a five-year-old to understand but so complex and profound. It doesn't, it doesn't just land in one place. It makes our minds spin and, and, and it causes us to really rethink what we believe in life. God wants his church to be uncompromising when it comes to presenting the gospel. The problem of our churches today is that many churches will preach a watered-down, adulterated version of the gospel. It's only to tickle the ears and to make sure that the seats stay full. See, many churches get caught up in their congregants being nothing more than just a mere number. Well, this amount of people came in today, but do you know them? So let's be a church here this morning that exalts Christ, that encourages one another and seeks to use the gifts he has appointed to each of us according to Scripture. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, thank you that we can come to this place and we can open your word and we can, we can dig into it. We can know that, that even before we open your word, that you're wanting to meet with us, Lord. And God, I pray that uh, you would help us to have a better understanding of your word. Lord, thank you for giving the gifts that you've given to us. Maybe somebody in here this morning or watching online has the gift of tongues, Lord. I pray that they would use it for the edification and encouragement of themselves, but Lord, that they would use it in a way that honors you. Maybe there's somebody here who has the gift of prophecy, that they're able to speak an inspired message over somebody in line with being led by the Spirit, in line with your word. Lord, I pray that they would use that appropriately, that they would be led by the Spirit. Lord, I pray that all of us in here this morning, God, would be desired, would have a desire to be led by the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, studying scripture doesn't stop here. I pray that we would continue to do it on a daily. Lord, we ask that you'd be glorified in our lives, Lord. I pray, God, that you would be the one who is sovereign over every aspect of our lives. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen.
Hello all, and thank you for checking out this episode of the Gray Avenue Christian Church Podcast. For any more information about who we are, uh, feel free to check out our Facebook and our website. Again, thank you for your support, and uh, we will catch you next time. Have a blessed week.